the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM970 presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. Good morning. This is Jerry Feeney sitting in for Dottie, who is not in today. I think she's getting ready for the marathon. Uh, she's going to run it in uh, high heels, which is always fun to watch. Uh, Dottie will be back next week. Uh, I'm here all alone, so if you've been uh, complaining about not being able to get through on the lines and ask me questions uh, for free, which I do once a week as a lawyer, uh, you can uh, have a better chance of getting in today because Ace is also traveling. So it's just me here holding on the fort. Uh, but we're only on for an hour today because then we're getting preempted, as usual, by uh, a sporting event, which I know all you guys enjoy. Um, I'm not sure what it is. I think it's a football game. But anyway, uh, we'll be uh, one hour today from 10 to 11. This is Ion Real Estate, which is, as everyone knows, the only show on talk radio that talks about everything to do with real estate, which, as Dottie likes to say, is just about everything. If you have any questions, feel free to call us, 866-970-9622, and I'll do my best to answer any of your questions uh, about real estate or financing, and uh, it's my one and only area of expertise, but I do happily give out free advice, which, as they say, is worth what you pay for it. Think about that for a second. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Citizens Bank, who supports the show in many ways as well as many Americans who were saddled with student debt. According to research released by Citizens Bank, three-quarters of Americans with student loan debt wish they had done more to minimize the burden of their student loans. At Citizens Bank, they work with student borrowers and their families at the front end of the college journey to develop a plan that helps manage the debt and meet the financial goals. Citizens Bank is a leader in student lending and the only national bank to offer refinancing options for both private and federal student loans to credit qualified buyers. If you want to learn more about how to handle your student loan, just go to citizensbank.com. And you know, I think that is true. I remember when I was um, borrowing money to go to college and then law school, you didn't think about paying it back. I mean, you knew you would pay it back, but you didn't think about the burden it was gonna be. You just assumed, well, I'll go to college, I'll go to graduate school, then I'll make money, then I'll pay it back. But when you start paying it back, you realize that uh, it's expensive. The interest rates can be uh, can be expensive and it, it can really become a burden and it also interferes with what you can do as a career because as many people have found out um, it's you know hard to work in the non-for-profit sector which generally pays a little bit lower but is oftentimes more rewarding uh, because you can't afford to pay your student loans back so think about that when you're going in and make sure that you know you're not overtaking uh, <clears throat> overburdening yourself with debt on this day in 1936, President FDR 
won a second term in office. FDR, uh, I guess it was November 3rd, that was the election day in 1936. Uh, and as you may know, FDR was the only president who was elected four times to the presidency. And after that um, was when they passed the amendment to the Constitution, which only allowed a person to be elected twice to the presidency. They could do it other ways. They could succeed to the presidency, by, uh, becoming vice president and then president, and then be elected two more times, but only elected twice. Also on this day in 92, President Bill Clinton was elected. Um, in 2014, One World Trade Center opened on this day. Um, after the terrorists destroyed the, our beloved Twin Towers at World Trade Center. So it's an important uh, anniversary on that. For those of you who believe in astrology, which I guess there are a lot of people who do, as we hear when we get people with haunted houses calling in and telling us all the stories about that. For those of you who don't know, I'm a skeptic. But anyway, if you believe in astrology, great, good for you. If you're born today, you're Scorpio, your determination and willpower is strong, which is why you're always capable of getting the job done. So all Scorpios get the job done. If you were born today, you share your birthday with Roseanne Barr, uh, who didn't get the job done. She, <laughs> she got fired from her show. So I guess that doesn't really, not consistent with Scorpio, but whatever. Uh, it's barely even November, but the signs of Christmas season are already popping up around New York City. I don't know. Every year I feel like I'm saying the same thing, but it seems like it starts earlier and earlier. Um, but I think it's just we forget and it goes so quickly into the holiday season that before you know it, uh, you're surrounded by it. But decorations are for sale in some stores. I did actually order some Christmas decorations, I admit it, because I wanted to get ahead of the game this year instead of doing everything last minute. Decorations, um, ice skating rinks are open for business. And uh, Rockefeller Center has chosen the enormous tree that's going to be at the center. And it's a huge Norway spruce. It's always a Norway spruce uh, from the Catskills. This is a little town up near where I spend my weekends. Um, it's a town called Wallkill, New York, which is a little hamlet in, uh, near the Catskills. It's going to be 72 feet tall. It weighs 12 tons. It's about 75 years old. Um, at least it was before we cut it down. But everyone enjoys the Rockefeller tree. It's a, one of the uh, signs of the holidays. And uh, it's going to be cut down next week. And then it'll make its trip upstate, from upstate, rather, down to New York City. And I'm sure it will take just as long to get to New York City as it will to get downtown, given the holiday traffic. That's the other thing about the holidays, is, is as soon as Thanksgiving happens, or a week before Thanksgiving, everything comes to a crawl in New York City with traffic. It's never good, but if you drive in the city, as I do, um, you find that it takes about twice as long to get everywhere. Uh, and you spend many, many days sitting in traffic, barely moving, watching, you know, little kids in strollers go by you. And it's a lot of fun, the traffic in New York. Um, the, uh, it's due to arrive at Rockefeller Center on November 10th, which is next week, a week from today, giving the folks there enough time to decorate it with thousands of LED lights before its big debut, <clears throat> excuse me, on November 28th and then it stays there until January when they take it down and start for the next year. I wanted to go through a few of uh, the email questions that we get. We get a lot more email questions and we used to, I think it's because Dottie's been featuring them and 
Uh, so if you can't get through or or too nervous to be live on the radio with millions of people listening, uh, you can always email us at radioshow at element.com. The number, if you want to call, is 866-970-9622. And if you're on the line, hold on, I'll be with you in a minute. But let's first get to some of the email, Dear Dottie, questions. Dear Dottie, who pays the flip tax, the seller or the buyer? So first of all, flip tax is not really a tax. It's a kind of a colloquial term that we use. It usually refers in a co-op building where the co-op charges a fee, a, a revenue raiser, in connection with the sale. So it may be a formula, it may be a percentage of profit, maybe a percentage of the price, it may be uh, a flat fee per share, but it's usually, you know, a not insignificant fee to use a double negative. So it might be, uh, you know, $20,000, $30,000. And the question as to who pays it is always one for debate. Generally, the co-ops, uh, when they impose the flip tax, they'll create an amendment to the proprietary lease and they'll say what the formula is for the fee and sometimes they'll say who pays it but most of the time and most of them that I've read it simply says that it shall be paid at closing. Um, oftentimes we also see that it imposes it on the seller but a lot of times the co-op just doesn't care who pays it as long as it gets paid. But there are some important distinctions. Um, if the Co-op documents say that the buyer pays it, as we see in, tends to be more in buildings uh, that are a little bit uh, more expensive and, and kind of uh, swankier, if you will, you know, uh, on the park, uh, you know, Fifth Avenue on the park type buildings where they impose it on the buyer and they want proof that the buyer has paid it. I guess it's like a, you know, membership fee in a country club or something like that. Um, but if the buyer pays it, you've got to disclose it when you're marketing because you can't just you know, slip that in to the contract and say, oh, by the way, you know, an extra thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 has to be paid at closing and you weren't banking on that when you made your offer to buy. So that's the story on flip taxes. Here's another one. Dear Dottie, my husband and I started a small business selling soap. We make it ourselves and sell to local stores. We also ship to people who buy it from us online and we package and sell it from our garage and we want to get a business loan. That's going to be... Uh, tough to get a business loan while you're operating from your residence um, because most likely the production that you're doing in your residence is inconsistent with zoning, I would imagine, and, and more importantly, the, the type of financing that you have in your residence. So you have to be careful about that. Your insurance also is probably not going to cover that activity. So if, God forbid, a fire starts or something as a result of you manufacturing soap, which I know a main ingredient of which is lye, which I know is extremely caustic, toxic chemical, which can cause blindness. I don't think that that's something that should be hanging around in somebody's garage. So um, while some of America's biggest, most successful companies started by uh, in their garage, um, you probably should get a, uh, a warehouse facility to keep doing that if you're going to get a business loan, because it's going to be tough to get a bank to finance it if the uh, production is going on kind of illegally in your garage. Dear Dottie, there's a vacant lot next to our house and it's a convenient way for kids to get to school on the next block and also for people on our block to get to the local supermarket. Problem is we don't want people walking by the back of our house where the sliding door is left open when we're at home. Is this legal? The owner of the lot is a man who's owned it for years and never comes there. The lot is overgrown but the people walking through have made a path. 
you know, I don't think there's a lot you can do about this. Um, it's unless it rises to the level of what we call a nuisance in the law, then your ability to control what people are doing on their own property is pretty limited in that circumstance. The fact that people are walking across and the owner seems to be permitting it, um, as long as it's not creating a nuisance, which which you described uh, indicates it's not, then I don't think you'd be able to prohibit people from doing that. You may want to reach out to the owner of the lot and tell them what's going on and say, look, I don't think it's a good idea. If somebody slips and falls or gets injured, they might sue you and you've made it a right of way and see if you can convince them to maybe put up a fence or something to try to keep the, uh, the caravan to use a, a term of art, um, to keep the people from walking through the back of your house while you're trying to enjoy your privacy. Um, JDS in Brooklyn writes, dear Dottie, I just signed a contract for a condo that had both maintenance fees and common charges. What's the difference? I don't know. I've never, I've never heard of a condo that had both. I think they probably just used the incorrect terminology in one part of the contract. Generally on a condominium, we call it a common charge, which is the monthly fee that you pay in connection with ownership of the building to help defray the operational costs of the building, to fund your portion of the operational costs. Co-ops, we call it maintenance. Why the difference? I don't know. We just always do. That's the way it's always been. Um, but generally, condo wouldn't have both maintenance fees and common charges. My guess is that in the rider, the attorney just uh, made a mistake and put in the word maintenance instead of common charges, but everybody knew what they were talking about anyway, so I don't think it's that big a deal. Um, this is reported on CNN last week. So the title was what's the most expensive real estate on earth. And it's pieces of the moon. Apparently, um, three tiny moon rocks collected by the Soviet space mission in 1970 are expected to sell for up to a million dollars when they go to auction in November. These are tiny little fragments and they're valued anywhere between 700,000 and a million. I really don't know what makes them so valuable, but they're the only known and documented lunar rocks to be available for private ownership. So if you have an extra million hanging around and you want to own a moon rock, then by all means, go and buy it. Uh, the two largest pieces measure about as thick as the side of a nickel. Well, the smallest piece is one by one millimeter, <laughs> smaller than some grains of sand. I mean, I can imagine, you know, buying this thing and putting it on your counter and then, all, you know, somebody's cleaning up the kitchen and just throws it out, not knowing what it is. I imagine if you spent that much money on it, you probably would put it in some kind of a display case or something like that. Um, I don't know what the big deal is. Meteorites hit the earth all the time and meteorites um, are made of the same debris that eventually came together to form the moon. So I don't know, you know, and... and I think they sell those all the time. So I don't know what the big deal here is. But I guess, you know, for people that have a lot of extra money and don't know what to do with it, these are great options. These were received by the uh, Soviet mission Luna 16 in 1970. Apparently, NASA has about 842 pounds of moon rock, which they are not selling. Although, you know, if our government fiscal crisis continues, then maybe we should sell it and see what we can get for it. I don't know why we brought back 842 pounds of it. That seems like an awful lot, but good for them. NASA's got it. If you want to go see it, I'm sure they have it on display. Um, we hear a lot these days about co-living, and it really is an interesting trend. 
that's going on, being uh, fueled, I think, in part by millennials, uh, just the change in the way they live and work. We've all heard of these co-work groups like WeWork, et cetera, that has sort of revolutionized the way that people rent office space and uh, it's less, um, you know, less of rent a floor of office space and then subdivide it into your office. Rather, it's more flexible types of workspaces that have communal areas to, uh, you know, meet with colleagues. And, and they used to have free beer, but I understand they've ended that now, the free beer thing at work, um, which I always thought was problematic, um, particularly if, you know, you're a neurosurgeon or something. I don't think that you should be having free beer during the day, but that's just my opinion. But co-living is sort of the corollary to that. But instead of a work environment, it's a living experience. And it's the idea of in big cities where the apartments are expensive and it's hard for young people to afford uh, a new apartment in New York City. I certainly remember those days when I came to New York. And, you know, back then we would do it ourselves and we would rent an apartment, four of us, and we didn't share the expenses. And, you know, one person would have one corner of the living room and somebody else would have another. And that was just the way you started off in New York City when you couldn't afford to live on your own. It was a great way to meet people. And I always encourage young people coming to the city to explore roommate situations. But they're building co-living situations, which are sort of designed for that. And uh, who would have known that they would have been, become so popular? And they, they've had some experiences here in New York City and done quite well. In London, a firm called The Collective has announced that they're going to uh, build a um, a, a co-living situation at 555 Broadway in Brooklyn, and it's going to have over 500 apartments in it, uh, 500 kind of rooms of which 30%, well, 500 apartments of which 30% will be affordable. So that's good. That was another comment that we had about these co-living experiences. That they weren't exactly uh, as affordable as you thought they would be um, for you know younger people coming into the city. The Brooklyn building is going to include a food hall, a community-focused restaurant and bar, several co-working areas, which are similar to what we were talking about with WeWork, a fitness center that will offer group classes, outdoor terraces with barbecue and lounge areas, and a landscaped outdoor plaza with artwork and public seating. Uh, it'll also host workshops, seminars. It's kind of an interesting concept, and I, you know, I, I must say, I think it's exciting, this new trend in real estate, and I think it's here to stay. Um, and my, you know, one of my areas of inquiry is, is this going to play just in big cities or is it going to start to branch out into smaller cities, and maybe uh, suburban areas, too, where it's still tough for young people when they go out on their own to get their own apartment and you don't really need that much space. So maybe these co-living situations will move out into the suburbs, too, and make it easier for people to, uh, to get started. We'll wait and see. Stay tuned here and we'll give you updates as that happen. By the way, the number again, 866-970-9622 if you want to give us a call and ask any of your real estate questions. This is Jerry Feeney. It's I on Real Estate. I'm sitting in for Dottie Herman, who's traveling this week. Um, there was an interesting article that we came across um, in New Jersey about the uh, condominium association there that has gotten into a dispute with a woman, an elderly woman who's using her dog uh, as a service animal and they're making her use the back door, uh, which is surprising to me. Uh, after the break, we'll talk about that because it uh, could be a violation of law. 
Um, but hang in there. We're uh, going to take a quick break and hear some messages from our sponsors. And I'll be right back. This is Ion Real Estate. In an era where it's tough to know which news outlet to trust, at a time where it's difficult to find facts, not just opinion, there is an oasis in the news desert. It's the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis, the personification of the American dream, who built a multi-billion dollar business empire, talks with some of the nation's top newsmakers every Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m. You won't just hear partisan spin. You'll hear directly from the newsmakers who are shaping the news cycle in the city, the country, and the world. On the Cats Roundtable, you won't just hear about politics. You'll hear about science, business, education, animal rights, and any other topics that you're interested in. Catch the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning, starting at 8.30, right after Morano in the Morning on AM 970. The Answer. Nobody knows more about sleeping than my good friend, Mike Lindell. Hi, Joe Piscopo. You know, Mike Lindell's My Pillows are fantastic. But did you know that My Pillow has an incredible mattress topper that gives you total body support and a great night's sleep every single night? My Pillow's mattress topper is made of three layers that help give you the support you need. It helps relieve pressure points by evenly distributing your body weight and regulates your body temperature with an ultra soft patented temperature regulating cover. The My Pillow mattress topper is perfect to upgrade dorm beds to give new life to your existing mattress. It comes with a 10-year warranty. You can wash it. It's made in the USA, and it's backed with Mike's 60-day money-back guarantee. Check out this fantastic deal just for you listening to AM970. 30% off the MyPillow mattress topper, plus two free standard MyPillows when you call 800-651-0798. Use the promo code AM970 or go to MyPillow.com. Please be sure to use the promo code AM970. 800-651-0798. Promo code AM970. Your table, ladies. Thank you so much. So, Vicky, how have you been? Great. It's been so long. Last time we saw each other was what? Your daughter's wedding on that yacht? What was it? The Atlantis? Yes, the Atlantis. It was perfect for the wedding with its three decks, bridal suite, immaculate restrooms, dance floor, and state-of-the-art sound system. The food and service was great, and I hear they bake those delicious rolls right on board. They do. You know, I've been trying to decide what to do for my daughter's Sweet 16 and some corporate events. You should absolutely book the Atlantis. They do more than just weddings. Sunset cocktail parties, bar and bat mitzvahs, luncheons, and guests are able to board from several locations. Francesca was so easy to work with. Call her at 212-385-9400 or email her at events at franstouchofclass.com. Charter the Atlantis for your event today. Call Francesca at 212-385-9400 or visit franstouchofclass.com. For a limited time, mention AM970 for a free menu upgrade on the Atlantis. Hi, Joe Piscopo here. One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth, yet most of us don't do it properly. I've got the perfect solution for you. Quip Toothbrushes. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, even enjoyable. Here's how. Quip toothbrushes are gentle on sensitive gums. They have a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you to switch sides. Quip comes with a multi-use cover for easy storage and on-the-go use. Plus, one charge lasts three months. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $15. 
$5. Quip has thousands of verified five-star reviews. They're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash Piscopo right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Piscopo. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Good morning. We're back. This is Jerry Feeney sitting in for Dottie and Ace, who are both out this week, but they'll be back next week. Um, And we're just an hour today. So if you want to get your questions in, give us a call at 866-970-9622. Um, because at 11 o'clock, that's the end of our show this week, and then they're going to be moving over to um, football. Uh, in any event, before the break, I was talking about a condo association in New Jersey that has uh, got into a dispute with the HUD after they made an elderly resident uh, use the back door because she was apparently had a service animal, and uh, the building rules required that all animals, uh, in, that all pets in the building um, only be brought into common areas if they were at a cage, which is a silly rule. I, I got to admit, I mean, if I had to put my uh, little doggies in a cage every time I brought them through the lobby, um, I think it would be a little bit ridiculous. But in any event, this condo association had that rule and they tried to impose it upon this elderly resident whose contention is that her animal is a service animal because she is sight impaired and hearing impaired and apparently the animal is trained as a service animal and therefore uh, she claims her protection under HUD and this is an important uh, case because you know I hear more and more of buildings who are you know trying to fight back against possible abuse uh, of these statutes by people who are you know saying well no it's not a pet it's a service animal and tried to get in under the federal uh, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act which is really awful uh, that people do that. I mean, that law was designed to help people who have legitimate disabilities, and I think it's it's outrageous to use it to try to get your little uh, you know animal exempted from the pet rules. Um, but the the fact is that under federal law, if a person has a disability, as recognized under federal law, for example, they're blind or deaf, or you know, it could be a mental disability. If it's a federally recognized disability, and what the person is seeking is called a reasonable accommodation, then the landlord or the housing association can't prevent it. So, for example, a blind person with a service animal dog that leads them around and that is their eyes for them uh, is a classic example that many judges cite in cases interpreting the Americans with Disabilities Act. And in that case, a building could not say no dogs allowed, or if you see in a restaurant, it says, you know, no animals allowed. That's really an incorrect uh, uh, declaration because a person with a service animal absolutely would be able to um, uh, bring that service animal in a building, notwithstanding a rule against pets. And you also can't sort of punish the person or diminish the services available to the person, which this building was doing because they were forcing this person to go around and use the back door, which apparently is far less convenient uh, and is a burden. So um, the the building <clears throat> uh, also tried to impose fines for people who didn't obey this rule of 
using the back door or putting the dog in uh, in a uh, a pet carrier before bringing it in. They try to find them a hundred dollars per episode, which, by the way, is a whole another area that we should talk about one of these weeks about what what co ops and condos can do with respect to fines because it's pretty limited and yet they do it all the time and people just don't object. But the fact is that the law is actually pretty well formed with respect to that. And, and they don't necessarily have the unfettered right to just find people, whatever they feel like for violating rules. Um, according to Paul Compton, who's HUD's general counsel, the rules that limit access to a condominium common area for persons with disabilities who need an assistance animal violate the federal fair housing act. And I would tend to agree. Uh, he goes on to say that the charge represents HUD's commitment to ensuring that persons with disabilities are allowed f- to fully use and enjoy their homes, which is certainly laudable. And, and I'm glad that you know somebody's looking at this, and and we'll see. I mean, it's going to go before a, an administrative judge, and they'll make a determination as to whether that violates it. But you know, you can't just um, skirt the the meaning and the intent of some of these laws by by imposing you know different conditions on disabled persons and forcing them to use quote the back door um so that was i thought an interesting case the um the city's plan here to release its predatory landlord list uh is something that i read with interest and initially thought well this could be somewhat useful until i learned the methodology that the city is using to put a landlord on the speculation watch list, which is nothing short of idiocy, absolute lunacy. The city, in their very finite wisdom, has decided that if a property, a multifamily property, sells for more than $10,000, okay, well, that's most of them, and has what we call a cap rate, below the medium cap rate for their borough, then that landlord goes on the speculation watch list. That is the dumbest thing. Well, not the dumbest thing I've ever heard because <laughs> every day I hear about 10 new dumb things if you watch the news. But the, the city is not making any sense. First of all, what's the cap rate? The cap rate is simply um, a, a measure that we use um, in investment real estate that, um, you know, that, that's a, a multiple of the um you know the price as a multiple of you know what the property is likely to rent for in a particular year so it's a you know the higher the cap rate the better the investment and generally you know geographic areas uh share a a a cap rate that's similar to each other for a particular area so you may have a cap rate that's typical in a particular county in new york state of 8%, 8%, and that sort of sets the standard when you're looking at investment property in that area for, you know, what multiple the property sells at versus the annual rent for the property. And it's a well-known um, metric in, in determining um, whether a property is, is, a, is a good or, or not a good investment property. But the fact is that for a borough to come up with a cap rate, well, that's a very broad generalization, right? I mean, you could talk at a borough like Brooklyn, uh, Kings County, which is, you know, goes from very small cap rates and very desirable and highly um, competitive areas like Brooklyn Heights or Park Slope to relatively high cap rates, uh, meaning that the the property is, you know, the, 
sorry, the lower the lower the cap rate in the more um, targeted areas like Park Slope is going to be expected. And in these less desirable areas where there's less competition, uh, you might see a higher cap rate. The fact of the matter is that because something is selling, um, you know, for a cap rate that's below the median doesn't at all reflect, you know, the fact that that landlord is going to be a predatory landlord. And it's just, you know, a lot of landlords have complained about this list because it doesn't really, um, you know, answer the question as to whether or not the landlord is buying it for speculation purposes and therefore going to try to raise the rent and therefore going to try to get people out of the building. It could mean that the building is just run down and needs a lot of work or it could be in an area where the cap rates are uh, different than in in different in uh, other areas of the borough. So I, I just think, you know, it's a classic example of a regulator who's trying to do something good, but doesn't really fundamentally understand the nature of the area that they're regulating. Um, what do you think? If you want to give us a call, 866-970-9622. The next time you want to sublet your apartment, you may want to read this article about a... Uh, widowed Soho loft owner who has been trying to get her non-rent paying subletter out for quite some time uh, after months of complaints about the subletter who won't pay his rent, won't move out, apparently throws loud parties and is a menace to the neighbors, the police came in and made her to arrest. But they arrested the landlord, not the subtenant. For nearly a year, uh, Bonnie Rychek has been trying to get gaming executive Ted Owen out of the Lafayette Street loft she sublet to him. This has been a well-reported case going on and on and on about a very expensive loft on Lafayette and sublet, and she claims that he owes more than 28000 rent and fees. Um, she even got as far as putting a 72-hour eviction notice on the door. Um, but apparently when she was at the building uh, last Sunday afternoon to retrieve a package, she ran into Owen, and a short time later he called the police who then arrested her after he made a complaint charging her with aggravated harassment for allegedly phoning and making several threats. I'm not sure how that amounted to aggravated harassment. She must have, he must have had other uh, allegations of the complaint, but um, he quoted her as saying, I conspired to destroy your reputation and I'll keep the door open for that. It just doesn't sound like something someone would say, first of all, that I've conspired to destroy your reputation. But nevertheless, uh, she's quoted as saying, I feel like I'm in a Hitchcock movie. She owns a house in the Hamptons, but when she's in New York, she sleeps on a friend's couch because she can't sleep in her own apartment because it's occupied by somebody who's apparently not paying the rent. A real nightmare. But, you know, such is the, the land of being a landlord in, uh, in a regulated city that you can't always get immediate possession of your apartment. We're going to take a break. When we come back, let's talk about smoking bans in apartments, which seems to be uh, the flavor of the day. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, give us a call, 866-970-9622. This is Jerry Feeney, and it's Ion Real Estate. We'll be back in just a moment. What can an actor teach an attorney? Well, this weekend on Champions of Justice, Tom Girardi talks with veteran film and TV actors Catherine James and Alan Blumenfeld about their 38-year career of teaching attorneys how to be more effective communicators, all with the aim of establishing justice. It's a fascinating hour with two very interesting storytellers. Tune in Champions of Justice, Sunday mornings at 10, here on AM 970, The Answer. 
How do Trump's policies affect small business? Where's cryptocurrency headed? Find out every Sunday afternoon at 1 on Newsmax TV's newest show, What's the Deal? Hosted by Wall Street entrepreneur John Tobacco. What's the Deal is a show unlike any other. It's where politics meets the economy. Catch John Tobacco and an array of special guests. Bypass the NFL and tune into Newsmax TV this Sunday afternoon at 1. Go to NewsmaxTV.com and find out how you can watch What's the Deal? Joe Piscopo here asking, are you tired of dealing with dummies? Well, experience the smart way to buy a car at Route 22 Toyota with no hidden fees, no back and forth, no pressure, and no wasting time dealing with dummies. Alex Kinsella, the general manager, prides himself on his low lease offers and 0% APR financing for up to 72 months for qualified buyers. And now my buddy Alex wants you to experience their new smart way to service. Listen to my show every weekday morning from 6 to 10 a.m. because you'll never know when Route 22 Toyota will be giving me the go-ahead to give away free things like a multi-point inspection and oil change with filter to the first five callers. Call 855-621-9949 and say, Joe sent me. Experience how one caring family in the car business is out to change the entire car business by offering you the smarter way to buy a car and more. 855-621-9949. Route 22 Toyota. Route 22 West, Hillside, New Jersey. Or at Route22Toyota.com. All your European makes excluded. Attention humans, Sprint is giving away $250,000. That's right, Atlas. There are 250,000 reasons to check out Sprint this fall. Our rake in the cash sweepstakes is from November 2nd through the 8th. Simply drop into your local Sprint store and enter to win your share of $250,000. My analysis confirms that's a big pile of money. The rake in the cash grand prize is $100,000 and 150 winners will receive 1000 bucks. New and existing customers can enter to win. You get extra entries when you open new accounts, upgrade your phones, activate a watch or tablet, and there are bonus entries for each year you've been with Sprint. There's no purchase necessary. Simply visit your local Sprint store for official rules and complete details. Hurry, humans. The sweepstakes ends November 8th. And there's never been a better time to try the Sprint Network. When you visit Sprint, check out our network built for Unlimited and all the amazing Unlimited plans. Legal residents of United States, Puerto Rico, and District of Columbia, 18 and older. Void were prohibited. Sponsor Sprint Communications Company, LP. The Army National Guard is committed to keeping the country safe and our communities secure. Composed of hundreds of thousands of citizen soldiers from all walks of life and in every corner of America, the Guard is always ready to respond to local or national emergencies. The Army National Guard reacts to domestic operations in each of America's 54 states and territories, including Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, Guam, and the District of Columbia. Each state National Guard's unique domestic role is to act as the first line of defense in support of civil authorities in their state. The Guard's emergency responses include Search and rescue missions for floods, combating wildfires, hurricane and tornado recovery, and the presidential inauguration. The Army National Guard. We are always ready. We are always there. And in every state and territory, we stand guard for our communities. To learn more, log on to NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the New York Army National Guard. Aired by the New York State Broadcasters Association at this station. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. It's actually Jerry Feeney sitting in for Dottie Herman and Ace Watana Supar, both of whom are out this week traveling, but they'll be back next week. Uh, this is Marathon Weekend. 
uh, and everybody's excited about the marathon. And I've got people in from out of town from upstate who are all coming to stay with me. Uh, one of the joys of owning a New York City apartment uh, is that uh, friends and relatives like to come and stay there. Uh, but we love that. And uh, two of them are running in the marathon. I'm very proud of them. Um, and uh, they, they've done a couple of marathons so far. Uh, and they're about my age, so it makes me feel very um, uh, unsuccessful in not being able to run a marathon. I always admire people that can do that. I mean, it's, you know, when I was in the military, you know, I could run three miles and we had to for a physical fitness test. And I mean, 26 miles, it's just shocking that people can do it. And they rid it at this crazy pace that if you've ever been at the finish line, you see some of these people come across and it looks like they just, you know, strolled across the kitchen to, to go to the refrigerator or something. I mean, I'd be crawling. Uh, but at any event, uh, good luck to all the marathoners. Welcome to the people from out of town who are here spending money. Thank you. Keep spending money. New York City needs it. Uh, buy some real estate while you're here, uh, as long as you're at it. But enjoy the city. It's a perfect weekend weather-wise for it. It's supposed to be crisp and cool in the morning when they... Uh, step off from the Veranzano in Staten Island, run across the bridge and go through all five boroughs and end up in Central Park. It's a great event in New York, and uh, we welcome everybody who's in from out of town. And uh, as you probably remember from the famous Seinfeld episode where uh, the lead marathoner oversleeps because they forget to set the clock back uh, tonight, uh, or actually tomorrow morning early, we fall back, right? You fall back and spring ahead. You fall back in the fall. So we lose an hour uh, of sleep. Oh, no, you don't. You gain an hour. Sorry. You gain an hour. You get an extra hour of sleep because the clock's at 3 o'clock, go back to 2 o'clock. This old vestige of this crazy system that we have with daylight savings time. Um, you know, I used to, when I was young, I learned that it had to do with the farmers. But then as you read more about it, it really had nothing to do with the farmers. That was an old wives' tale. If you read the history on the daylight savings time, it's actually kind of interesting. There's been lots of efforts to stop it um, and just stay on a unified time standard. I think that makes a lot of sense, frankly. Uh, but in any event, um, this, these are the, this is the time of year when the days get shorter anyway. And then now we're going to uh, fall back and set the clocks back, which means it's going to get darker earlier. You know, in 530, it's getting dark. But, you know, that's a sign of winter. In any event, uh, smoking bans in New York City uh, buildings are very common now, and it uh, seems to be the flavor of the day. We, um, it's a city of about 12% at the latest survey uh, of New York City adults smoke, which, as we all know, is, is um, an unhealthy thing to do, and we should certainly encourage people not to do it. But it is legal. Uh, the, the smoking is legal in, in um Still, although it's certainly regulated. And um, the latest poll of New York City voters found that about 60% prefer to live in a place that prohibits smoking. Um, and a lot of buildings have been doing this, and there's been some pushback. And, you know, not everybody in the building is in favor of this. And I must say that I, I am not a smoker, and I find it as distasteful and repellent as everybody else who is not a smoker does. But I'm also, you know, a civil libertarian, and I believe that people, you know, ought to be able to enjoy the, uh, their their apartment with, without being harassed. On the other hand, I know before you start writing in and writing hate emails and calling, uh, the smoke can go into the door and through the ventilation system, and it can impact other people in the building who aren't smoking. And that's the theory. And there's the health of 
reasons for it, and that's the theory behind residential smoking bans. Um, data released by the New York City Department of Health uh, last year showed that there was a 2.5% decrease in the percentage of people in New York who smoke, um, driven, you know, I think in part by a lot of these regulations and uh, raising prices and taxes on cigarettes and things like that all contributes to that. Um, and of course, you remember the 2002 Smoke Free Air Act where we stopped smoking in, inside in nightclubs and, and uh, jazz clubs and things like that. Um, but, you know, in residential buildings, a relatively recent thing, but it's really caught on and a lot of buildings now are banning it. Um, I'm not sure that you know, we ought not to pause before we do this um, and make sure that this is not going to become a trend that's going to extend beyond just smoking. You know, I mean, what other thing, what other legal activities are buildings going to proscribe um, residents from doing in their apartment? Bear in mind, the, the smoking ban doesn't require uh, anyone to, to prove or even allege that they're smelling the smoke from a neighbor who's smoking in the apartment. The mere smoking in the apartment without any uh, nuisance caused, without any other person complaining about the smoke, is enough to make it a violation. So I guess that's my concern, is that we have a completely legal activity, which isn't necessarily impacting anybody else in the building, but yet the building is deciding to regulate it. That scares me. You know, what if... What if the building wants to regulate me drinking scotch in my apartment because somebody doesn't like the smell of that or something? You can imagine, you know, what we call in the law <clears throat> a slippery slope where people are going to start to uh, complain. And, and once you have precedent for something, that's what lawyers always worry about, because once you have precedent for things, then it's hard to distinguish between the two. If it would just stop at smoking and I was ensured that it would stop at smoking and the buildings wouldn't try to add other things to it, then I'd probably join the bandwagon and say, by all means, just ban it because it's gross. But I'm not convinced it's going to stop at smoking, and that's my fear, and that's why I think that we ought to at least pause and think about it before we do it. I do think it probably raises uh, property values also. That's the, that's the other side of it. Apparently, uh, there are some economic studies on this that show that people are willing to pay a premium to live in a place that is smoke-free. So that's also, you know, an important part of the formula. You know, there are, there are no pet buildings that have been examined by economists who have determined the opposite, where no pet buildings actually have a negative impact on the valuation of, of real estate. So, you know, when your building is thinking about passing a rule, there's more to consider than just it face value. You know, what, what impact is it going to have on the desirability of living in this building and therefore the potential market for it when you go to sell. So stay tuned and we'll see what's going to happen with that. Um, I want to just touch on a couple of things. First of all, Tuesday's election day. Don't forget to vote. A lot of people died for our right to vote. And I'm embarrassed to say that there have been times in my adult life when I didn't vote because I was too busy or I didn't think it mattered or whatever. And I was wrong and I didn't do it, but I, it is important that everyone who is eligible to vote, vote. Vote however you want, but please do. I mean, I have a picture in my upstate house of uh, my uncle who was in World War II and his battalion. There were about four or 500 people. I think it was a battalion, but uh, four or 500 young men who were all 
getting ready to, and whose battalion did participate in D-Day. So all of these people in the picture, all of these young men were involved in World War II, were fighting for the country, and many of them ended up dying in D-Day. And I look at that picture and I think to myself, these people died or risked their life and did something unbelievably brave, far braver than I ever could have done, so that we could all have the, the rights that we enjoy today. So, you know, don't just let them sit there and don't let somebody else vote for you. Go out and vote and, and uh, take advantage of your rights. I wanted to, as a lawyer, I get asked a lot about legal questions and people think that lawyers know everything about the law and we really know, uh, you know, we have a general training in law school, but, you know, most of us then specialize. I specialized in real estate. <clears throat> but when I was uh, with a law firm, a big law firm, when I first came out of law school after I was with the government, I did some pro bono cases. Pro bono is, uh, you know, f for the good is the Latin terminology. It's what lawyers do when they give free legal services to people in need. And we did a couple of uh, asylum cases and I was successful. I won both of them. And uh, these asylum cases at the time, you know, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't a matter of, uh, you know, the president talking about it on a weekly basis as he does now. It wasn't as much in the news, but asylum cases, as you know, I came to learn, uh, were a result of, of our nation entering into a treaty. And I just want to explain that, not to take a political stand here at all, but because I don't think that the press has been explaining the, what, it, what it means to be a refugee legally. So I think it's important when we're considering <clears throat> what's going on in the country and considering what people are saying, pro and con, about you know what's happening with these uh, people that's referred to as the caravan coming up from Honduras and El Salvador, that we the government is a, a party to a treaty. Uh, the United States is a party to a treaty, which therefore has the, the force of law called the 1951 Refugee Convention. And it's a multilateral treaty that many countries are, are uh, adherence to, as are we. So our Congress approved this treaty, the Senate did, and therefore it has the force of law. And it says that somebody coming from a country who is coming to our border and claiming refugee status is entitled to a hearing on it. Uh, and you, know, you can't just bar them from coming across the border if they're coming to claim refugee status. Now, oftentimes we detain people when they come for refugee status, which is allowed under the, the asylum laws, but repelling them, returning them, uh, and not allowing them to come in if they're claiming to be a refugee uh, is a violation of law. And that's the part of the equation that I don't think people are talking about, or at least the press isn't reporting. What is a refugee? A refugee is a person uh, who, owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted by reason of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group or political opinion is outside the country of his nationality and unable, owing to the fear, to avail himself of the protection of that country. But it has to be uh, a fear of persecution based on one of those reasons. So we do hear the press talk a lot about these days, you know, about the, 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 you know, the economic condition of El Salvador and Honduras and how dangerous it is and how the gangs are very violent. I will tell you that that alone would not be enough to get somebody asylum status in the U.S. It has to be a well-founded fear of being persecuted by membership in a particular social group or political opinion. You know, for example, I, I did a case of a guy from Somalia whose father had been a general in a former 
uh, government and who was, I mean, unbelievable, well-documented story of how he was persecuted as a result of his father's political opinion and his perceived membership in that. And he really couldn't come to any town and have any peace because, you know, people knew who he was. And and that was, a, a you know, uh, enough to get him granted uh, uh, refugee status. So I think it's important that uh, not that facts are very much in vogue anymore, but I do think it's important when we talk about these issues to know what is the background. And then we're not political, so make your own decision. Um, in any event, we um, I wanted to talk about uh, one more thing here, which is the mortgage rates, which uh, you know continue to fluctuate. And mortgage rates are affected by the bond market much more so than short-term Fed rates. When we talk about the Federal Reserve raising or lower rates, we're talking there about the short-term interest rates. The, the mortgage rates are influenced by the bond market, which is, um, you know, which is then influenced by world factors and uh, stability in various different countries and things like that has impacts on the bond market. And um, right now, the 30-year fixed rate is hovering at about 4.8, which is up almost a full point over a year ago, but still, you know, in a, in a historical uh, framework, still relatively low. Um, and, you know, because uh, they have dipped down a little bit, um, I think has led to some consensus that perhaps home sales are going to start to regain momentum. Freddie Mac said that they expect mortgage rates to gradually uh, inch higher, uh, anticipating that um, we're going to get to 5.1 in 2019 and 5.6 in 2020. Um, I hope not. Uh, I hope they're wrong on that one. Um, the fundamentals of the economy, you know, say what you want about the politics. The fundamentals of the economy, other than the debt, is very good. I mean, the uh, forecasting growth of the GDP of about 3 points, uh 3.0%, which is a very good number. Um, there was a 4.2% growth in, in the last quarter. And, you know, these are very healthy economic numbers. We had a great jobs figure on Friday, 250,000 jobs created, which is a very robust pace. So uh, that's all good news. You know, who knows? But still, in terms of a historical time frame, and interest rates are still relatively low, and, you know, you may hear about tick ups in interest rates, but oftentimes it only amounts to a few dollars a month in terms of what people are going to end up paying. Homeownership is still a great investment. So if you're running tomorrow, good luck on the marathon. Uh, and everybody who's eligible to vote should vote Tuesday. Don't forget, it's our right. People died for it. So let's go do it. This is Jerry Feeney and it's Ion Real Estate. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week with Dottie Herman and Ace Watana Suparp. Enjoy your week. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.